0: This is January 24th, I think, 2021, and uh, my taste show this morning will be on Sangha. Sangha, of course, is one of the the three treasures or the three jewels that are right at the heart of the Dharma, of Zen teaching, as well as Buddhist teaching of other kinds. Uh, The three treasures, just to review, are Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. You know, uh, in every Teisho, and Dharma talk, and most articles in Zenbo, uh, there is a lot said about Buddha and Dharma, but less about Sanda. Buddha uh, would appear often, uh, especially in the form of Buddha nature, our original mind. Our true nature, as well as the historical Buddha Shakyamuni Dharma maybe even more so, more uh, integral to any uh, exposition on on the Dharma, the Dharma as the truth has various definitions: the truth, the way the law the teaching but to talk about Sangha uh, is, is not as simple um, maybe because um, because it it really means the people of the, the people who practice the Dharma and who maybe believe in Buddha nature um, so it's it's maybe it's because it's particular Sangha is particular to the uh congregation um the, the the simple definition that you see in zen for for sangha is harmony that's more of a abstract way to understand sangha very a very good one very uh, important one uh but uh community is the other word for sangha and uh, I think another, in churches, it would, be, it would be called congregation. We talk about the Rochester Zen Center Sangha. And uh, it can be broadened. Uh, and I've said this in many taste shows, that we can think of uh, Sangha as anyone uh, practicing the Buddha Dharma. Um, it can go even further, really. We can say that the the ultimate Sangha, uh, are all beings, um, but it's not that useful to just uh, broaden the word to all beings. So, so this morning I'm going to be talking more about sangha in the more limited definition of of uh, the. The congregation uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a beautiful word sangha um, and uh, I I know that in talking with non non-sangha members sometimes you have to if you use the word sangha you have to say how oh, basically it means congregation but um, I don't want to give it up because it's so it's such an ancient Uh, rich word, sangha. I want to start with uh, some overview or some retrospective uh, by Stephen Batchelor. Uh, This is from an article that appeared in Tricycle, online Uh, Tricycle. It's one of the uh, three or four uh, national uh, Buddhist magazines, uh, and the article is called "Creating Sangha." It was it, he wrote it a long time ago, uh, winter of nineteen ninety-five. But uh, the part that I'm going to be reading from, which is a kind of a historical retrospective on what sangha meant, uh, is of course <laughs> much <laughs> older than nineteen ninety-five. So. Uh, so, uh, he, 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 he talks about uh, the fact that historically, um, the Dharma was practiced by monks, uh, by the monastic Sangha. In fact, the original definition of Sangha was monks, all the way back to the India, time of the Buddha. And here in this uh, 25-year-old article, he's considering how... He's considering the role of traditional monasticism in 20th century um, practice. Uh, I think we... We here uh at the at the Zen Center have been uh considering this for decades about how we might adapt a tradition with monasticism at its core historically uh, to uh, our own conditions uh historical conditions here in the Western world but let me not get ahead of of what he's saying here. So I'm going to read straight from what he he wrote. He says, The issue of monasticism today does not concern its validity as an exemplary way of life in which to practice the Dharma. Okay, So he acknowledges that uh, it's a uh, magnificent way to really uh, delve into the Dharma through monasticism. He says, but it concerns its relationship to the Sangha, the Buddhist community as a whole. Should communities of monks and nuns still be considered as the essential core of the Buddhist Sangha? Or does the present situation call for a definition of Sangha in which the role of monastics is less central? Let me just interject that uh, that's that's that ship has sailed. They're, they're almost... N- no monasteries, Buddhist monasteries, in the Western world. There are some, uh, but uh, vastly outnumbered by lay uh, sanghas. Um, But it's still, I think, uh, an important question to pose, uh, given that it was the the core of uh, the Buddhist Sangha for 2500 years. He goes on. As Buddhism developed over centuries in different cultures, its form was determined by the economic and social conditions of former times. All traditional forms of Buddhism share in common the stamp of a medieval social structure. They emerged in societies with fixed class distinctions in which the course of a person's life was determined at the time of his or her birth. The division between monastics and laity was as sharply defined as the division between classes. This, of course, what he's leading up to is the contrast between uh, most of Buddhist history and uh, 20th and 21st century Western world. Life for the laity mostly consisted of agricultural labor and raising families. Formal education was very limited if not absent. With no family responsibilities, monastics, in contrast, were largely relieved of manual labor and so were free to devote themselves entirely to the Dharma through the study of philosophy, the practice of meditation, and by serving a pastoral role in the community. As a consequence of this split, the practice of Buddhism assumed two distinct forms. The laity, uh, just paraphrasing here a little bit, uh, the laity was without much time on their hands or, or even education. They Their main practice was Uh, in prayer and devotional practices uh, with the aim of improving uh, their lot for a future lifetime. Rebirth of course being uh, a central part of Buddhist teaching for all these centuries. And then he, skipping here down, he says, a "Bachelor says, the question today is whether the modern world is so significantly different that monasticism should no longer be considered central to the Buddhist Sangha. Uh, let me just, again, stream of consciousness, my apologies. Um, well, it hasn't been central, as I just said, uh, with virtually no monasteries, true monasteries or monks, Um, but that doesn't mean that we can conclude that it's it's uh, unimportant because it's early yet we still have decades or centuries to go before we can really um, judge or assess uh, what the Dharma has become what the teaching has become without the uh the great prominence of monasticism. He goes on, nowadays the condition of the laity even in traditional Asian Buddhist countries is being transformed. Um, no longer is the intellectual or moral superiority of monastics taken for granted. Uh, education is no longer the privilege of minority groups such as the aristocracy and monastics. Intellectual inquiry and philosophical thinking are possible for whoever is inspired to undertake them. State education and the development of telecom telecommunications provide the basis for an active and critical spiritual life for a growing number of people, including lay people leisure time in which to pursue such matters is also no longer the privilege of minority groups. And, he says, moreover, these pursuits are no longer confined to men. So, in conclusion, he says, the concept of Sangha and the role of the monastic in Buddhist societies arose in dependence upon the socio-economic conditions of former times. Now, let me take over for a minute. This, uh, This project of changing with the times and changing with the conditions, with contemporary conditions, is arguably the the challenge, the the project of projects. Um, Roshi Roshi Kappa, one of his favorite phrases was uh, the importance of not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. That is, we do need to adapt the form of Buddhism, Buddhist and Zen uh, practice, we need to adapt the form of it without losing the essence of it. What is the essence of the Dharma? It's change. It's change itself. It's flux. It's shunyata, emptiness, No, no permanent thing. No thing is permanent. And so it's a tradition, Buddhism and Zen by extension, it's a tradition that invites change to the forms without sacrificing the essence now the 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 essence, in practical terms, is zazen, sitting. It's indispensable. Sitting, yes, uh, sitting a certain period of time—half an hour, an hour, more—each day in a certain posture of stillness, sitting. But yes, more than that then carrying that <clears throat> carrying that mind of meditation that mind of concentration and mindfulness into and through all of the activities of one's daily life so when I, when i say zazen yes uh definitely the sitting but also the broader sense of zen practice being done in activity so that's the essence we can't even consider to, to to throw that out uh, is really to throw <laughs> the baby out with the bathwater. <clears throat> so things have changed over the centuries, especially especially uh, starting in the, <clears throat> in the 20th century, revolutionary change. Um, and to survive. And we know this from uh the survival of the species uh, uh we have to adapt, and that's what we've been trying to do and i I credit Roshi Kaplow with really getting the ball rolling uh recognizing for example that it's this, that we need to have we needed to have the chants, the traditional sutras that are chanted. In a a Zen center, we need to have them uh, in English. Maybe not exclusively English, but we need to mostly have them in English. The the Chinese chanted the Indian sutras in their own language, as did the Japanese and the Koreans. So, of course, we have to have chants in English and in other western countries saying swedish and german and mexican and spanish um we've also made efforts to <clears throat> to find uh non foreign words um as much as we thought it would be useful to do so we feel, so we've retained buddha dharma sangha Teisho, doksan and some other things um we're not finished probably with finding english equivalents for japanese and chinese words um uh, but roshi was early <clears throat> early to the to the party with that when other centers and still continue to use uh, japanese terms uh where i don't feel roshi didn't feel uh, we needed to sometimes when I go to uh, uh our annual Zen teachers meeting i haven't been in a while, but when I used to sometimes they would toss around Japanese words, and I just have to say, "What does that mean there's all oh, right I don't want to go too far astray now, but stick with with the matter of Sangha here. <coughs> He he goes on, Bachelor. It would not be unreasonable to conclude that the traditional monastic-centered concept of Sangha may longer be relevant today. He's, um, he's so careful with his wording, uh, and I would say respectful, of traditional monasticism. I don't know how many of you know that uh, he himself was a monk, briefly. He was... Uh, the first um, monk ordained, the first Western person ordained as a monk by the Dalai Lama. He found uh, soon enough that it just didn't work for him. Uh, don't ask me why. But, uh, well, I think he, he's saying here he's saying why uh, somewhat. Uh, so, it's I think it's uh, to his credit that he still respects uh, the tradition, the monastic tradition as much as he does. But he then he he asks very gingerly, is it not it's not unreasonable to conclude that, that traditional monasticism may long, long be irrelevant. It would seem self evident, he says, that for the Buddhist community to survive it must adapt itself to the changing world. Duh. To insist upon preserving traditional institutions irrespective of circumstances, would be to indulge in a dinosaur mentality. The question of survival depends essentially on the structure of the Sangha, for the Sangha is the communal expression of the Buddhist experience that needs to be rooted in the soil of society as a whole. Another word uh, about adapting... Who's to say that the the speed of of adaptation we've done here in in Rochester as compared to other Western Sanghas, who's to say that we're right? I don't know. Again, it will probably be a long time before we can look back and know whether we were too hasty uh, or too slow it's it's uh it's an ongoing question and uh it falls uh largely to the teacher to try to um, feel his or her way in leading uh with these these particular forms uh that we're talking about but even even that is changing in some respects, as we'll we'll get to. All right, so uh, Stephen Batchelor made the case that uh, monasticism, traditional monasticism, may be uh, one of those things that we have to not cling to uh, if it doesn't really serve the Dharma. So, uh, I found <clears throat> in another very short article uh, a nice metaphor uh, for uh, the importance of Sangha that I'll just uh, mention now. This is uh, from uh, another old article, not not as old, but it's, uh, it's by Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh Hanh. This was, he wrote in 2008. And I'm just going to There's there's not a lot, I have to say. There's not a lot of of, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching that I resonate to. But this is a nice metaphor. This is from an article called The Fertile Soil of Sangha. And uh, he he says it's like, uh, well, I'll just read the paragraph. If you have a supportive sangha, it's easy to nourish your bodhicitta. That's the the seeds of enlightenment. The Buddha seed, we say uh, in our... um, uh, what is it? The uh yeah, one of the three treasures, three refuges. Uh if you have a supportive sangha, if you don't have anyone who understands you or who it is, or who encourages you in the practice of a living dharma, your desire to practice may wither. Your sangha, that is family, friends, and co-practitioners, so he's he has a bit of a wider understanding of Sangha, not just your co-practitioners, but your family and friends. Your Sangha is the soil and you are the seed. No matter how vigorous the seed is, if the soil does not provide nourishment, your seed will die. A good Sangha is crucial for the practice. Agreed. Yes. I uh, I learned years ago how helpful it is to have a spouse uh, who is supportive of practice, and so I <clears throat> I, uh, I I started asking people, uh, new members of the center. I would ask them, uh, usually in Doksan, I would say, "How is your How's your husband feel about your undertaking this practice, or your wife?" Because uh, it makes a big difference. I mean, it, it okay. The, the spouse can be neutral; that's fair enough. And if the spouse just says, "Okay, each to his own," uh, but if the spouse is um, against it, against you practicing zazen, uh, then it's it's going to be harder on the practitioner. You've 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 got some. Some a strong headwind that you have to work with, which is one reason why I encourage people if the the your partner and your house is not on board with your practice, that you find times to sit where there's no conflict uh, with a person with a quality time of, of your your partner or your children. One of the other ways that uh, we've kind of charted our own course uh, with adapting the Dharma to uh, the United States is um, not using the word monk um, the way a lot of other centers use it. Uh, I would say misuse it. I. I, I have enough respect for traditional monasticism that I don't see uh, that it's appropriate to refer to people who are in residential training as monks a A monk for two and a half millenniums a monk meant taking vows of homelessness. That became actually the the translation for being ordained is uh, to leave home. It really means um, committing, vowing to be celibate your whole life, not just while you're in training, to be celibate your whole life and to forego having a family of your own. I think we, we honor that, as as I feel we should, we honor that commitment, um, or or we don't we don't honor it as much uh, when we get too loose with terminology and call people uh, in training monks. It's uh, it's kind of an easy shorthand. I get that, um, but it <laughs> it becomes a little bit. Ludicrous! Uh, I once saw a uh, an article um, about someone at the San Francisco Zen Center. Uh, the caption said, "So and so, a monk at the San Francisco Zen Center," and he had two of his kids with him. Uh, okay, so um, that aside. <coughs> This, this process of, of, uh, of examining Sangha, what it means, uh, will be an ongoing process. But it occurred to me that um, there's maybe no better time to look at what Sangha means to us than after this long pause, the pandemic. Uh, thanks to online sittings we 've been able to reach out and embrace our out of town members in a way I never thought possible it 's been wonderful and it, it will never we will never stop offering online sittings i'm convinced i think everyone is is on board with that and uh and with our uh, both our city and our country centers having been closed now for some, what is it, 10 months, um, and with our our residential staff now numbering just 11 altogether, four at Arnold Park and seven at Chapin Mill, I've also been reflecting on, on the model we've always used for staff, as, as which has always been Primarily residential, with some exceptions uh, for those of us who are who are married. Um, so this this seems to be um, what is that strike while the iron's hot. So this seems to be the time to reevaluate what sangha means to us, and to even visualize what it might become. I would start by suggesting, or <laughs> probably pos- positing, that, uh, that Sangha as a community, it is a community, embraces change. And, and by change, I mean certainly inner change, that's why we sit. The sitting is essential in order to change most, most uh, quickly. Um, but also embracing the change that is inevitable in the in the wider world. Uh, in, a, in an article about uh, sangha, or rather uh, a chapter in a book by Aitken Roshi about sangha, he uses this nifty phrase. He said that uh, we want to be, as a sangha, we want, want to become a cadre of change. And and also that we 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 work together, of course. That's that's Sangha working together. That's no one would I think dispute that. When I think of my some of my uh my most joyful experience of Sangha besides uh sitting together. (laughs) Remember that? Sitting together in one room um, in Sashin or outside of Sashin. Uh, But I also think of, uh, as, as far as working together at our Chapin Mill work retreats. I love those work retreats. Just banding together with, oh, at times we've had 50 other people out there and doing manual labor, uh, together. Um, This is the the joy of community, and the common task. And and we can extend that now to um, working together uh, in whatever way we feel we can, uh, and not just through manual labor. This working together uh, is itself the functioning of the Dharma. It is, we're improvising. We're all improvising. I think every Western Zen center is finding finding its way, improvising, experimenting, trying different things. Some people making change faster, others uh less so. This collaborating, this experimenting is the I think the very the very heart of sangha work, dharma work. <coughs> Every Sangha in the Americas, in Europe, in other other Western countries, and really also in the East Asian countries, the traditional Buddhist countries, though it may be less obvious because they've been at this for so long and there's a tendency to stick to the traditional forms. But But certainly in the West, every Sangha is a work in progress. Because each one of us is a work in progress. Each one of us is unfinished. To uh, use a word that uh, the wonderful Amanda Gorman used in her address at the inauguration. Each one of us is unfinished. Every one of us has a lot of work to do. Every one of us, without exception, has still degrees of, of the three poisons, greed in its many forms, some more blatant than others, hostility in its many forms, ill will, anger, and the third one, delusion in its many forms, in many degrees, Every one of us is still working, polishing. So let's appreciate that our sangha, as a whole, must be unfinished. Eiken Roshi uh, used another nice phrase. He's so, he's so articulate. Uh, he said that we can work on Sangha so that our members can have a good experience on the first floor of the Psyche while the basement remains full of dust and spiders. The basement. Our afflictions. Um, that's We're not going to clean all that up in one lifetime. But we can work together to find ways To be to work together in harmony. That's how I take have a good experience on the first floor of the psyche. Just interpersonal relations, learning to find to to work together, um, which which I would say includes uh, psychotherapy as as a kind of an adjunct to Zen practice. Or working together on the first floor of the psyche with uh um, nonviolent conflict resolution um, and other other forms of uh, collaborative uh, work all of this rests on trusting one another and this there's there's no better way to trust one another than to have seen to some degree into the original nature that we all share, to see that no matter how difficult one of our Dharma sisters or Dharma brothers is, still, as, as, we, uh, as we say in our repentance ceremony, everyone we practice with Is a Dharma brother or sister seeking to realize himself or herself? More that, more than that, more than just seeking, it's that's a lot. But it's also it's each one of us is finished. There, just as we're unfinished, we're finished. We are all of us um, from the very beginning. All beings are Buddha. We are all equally endowed with this mind, this luminous mind of wisdom and compassion and virtue. the more we can um, the more we can realize this through practice, through sitting through. Sittings and seshin. The more we can, we can, we can reach into that. Um, the, the easier it will be to work together as a sangha. The more we can uh, realize, uh, confirm through our experience, that uh, we're all in this together. We're all uh, Buddhas. Uh, until until we've confirmed this through awakening, uh just even remembering it or or believing in it, uh will allow us to exercise patience with one another. Uh the uh the the Sanskrit word is kashanti. It's uh, uh one of the perfections, one of the six paramitas of the six perfections is uh, the original word is kashanti, and uh, it's, I think the best translation is forbearance, being patient with one another, but also patient with this whole process of finding our way. Patience is such an immensely important virtue for practice. And, and now we can also look at how we might further develop a Sangha organization that reflects um, Western values in particular. That is values of that, that are participatory and egalitarian. Very different from traditional East Asian uh, structures. So we want to develop an organization that is that within our own sangha is participatory and egalitarian while also being involved in the broader community. Um, In that, too, we're already seeing it's been going on for a few years now. I think uh, more of our sangha members are getting involved in uh, climate change work and and uh, and other things. In closing, let me just emphasize the importance of non-abiding. Um, this is one of these rich Buddhist words you see in the old texts. It took me some years to really appreciate what it means. It means not, not dwelling in notions of what we think Sangha should be, in this case sangha or anything the way anything should be the, the, the notions of who we are or anyone is but here now in terms of sangha not being tethered to ideas of of uh what it should be over and over again we see in in uh in zen practice how how vital it is To return to this realm of not knowing. That's what practice is. When we're doing breath practice, we're coming back to not knowing. Because breath practice is a way of detaching from thoughts, notions, ideas, concepts. Breath practice, koan practice, shikantaza, all the particular Zen practices are all delivery systems to get us back to this realm of not knowing, of not abiding, not clinging. That's the essence of it all. That's why sitting is essential, literally essential. It's the essence of it all. And then the rest will follow from that. The rest we can we can sculpt our way. It is this is we're sculpting. We're sculpting a sangha. We don't start we don't want to start with an idea of how the figure should look, uh, but but to work on it uh, take some of it away, put some back on and um, and in that way, with faith, with faith, we will find our way to this <laughs> this realm of no end, ongoing, endless, beginningless Dharma. We'll stop now and recite the four vows.